After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. It's back to school, and it is back to the regular routine of the Scouting the Refs podcast. Josh, this is season number five. Do you believe it? I cannot believe it. How are we five seasons in already? I'm not sure how we're five seasons in, and I'm not sure how we've been able to survive this long without getting a few darts thrown our way, but I guess we have. We've been able to dodge them. Officiating's never an easy job, and talking about the officials has proven to be <laughs> similarly challenging. Hey, we've made it through lockouts, we've made it through CBA challenges and delayed seasons and rescheduled seasons, so uh, we'll just keep right at it, Todd. We keep trucking. It's season number five. <laughs> the Scouting the Rest podcast. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels. You get Josh, of course, at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. Coming up on this week's show, a new season is fast approaching. O'Rourke is on the way. CHL is underway. Who gets the gig? And that's the way they do it in Europe. How's that for a little tease off the top? Well, I'm curious to know how they do it in Europe. Uh, well, in, in <laughs> Europe, some things are different, and we're just going to save that little tease for the end. Let's mention, though, Dan O'Rourke is on his way for an admirable goal of basically cycling across the United States. Not the entire United States, but Route 66 along the United States. It's a great mission that he's been on to raise money for charity over the summer. Yeah, quite a long distance, Route 66, from California to Chicago. And he's had a few pit stops along the way. He's had the family driving behind as he's pedaling on the bike. They're cruising along in the RV and making some stops at specific locations, taking a break here and there. And of course, seeing the country. I mean, it's a, a beautiful drive. If you haven't had a chance to do it, you can hit the West Coast. And as he's doing, come all the way to Chicago. Maybe the return trip would be a little bit nicer. You get to look forward to going west, but he's uh, he's arriving. It's it. I mean, he's done this. It's a great way to train for him to get back in game shape, but what a way to raise awareness, raise money for the Route 66 ride for Braille literacy. Uh, as you know, we talked about him in the past that his his father's visually impaired, so he has some uh, some personal connections to it. Hold off on your officiating jokes when it comes to visual impairment, but mm -hmm. what a, you know, what a great way to do it to to stay active, to stay physical, to do it as a family because again, they're they're along for the ride and man what a relief it has to be for him to roll into chicago and and finally complete that journey yeah i i would think that that's a that's a great accomplishment and, and a wonderful gesture on his part to to raise awareness and to to raise a lot of fun uh, you mentioned it i think he's going to kick everyone's butt in terms of the cardio test at the uh, <laughs> officials training camp that's coming up but i i don't know that i'd want to make the return trip I mean, just like okay i did it I, I went one way do i really have to go back to <laughs> You know, it's it's going to be nice for him to uh, get on the plane, fly back out west and and not have to pedal and just just fly right over the path you took and realize that it's only going to take you a couple hours to get back home. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a lot easier. 
We mentioned that the new season is on the way. That, of course, is for the National Hockey League. Training camps will be getting going. Uh, everybody will be trying to find their way onto rosters, and it won't be long before the 23-24 NHL season is underway. Preseason, however, is already underway in the Canadian Hockey League. We've got the OHL going, the, the WHL uh, gets going, and the QMJHL is also rolling. And new this year, no fighting in the queue. We talked about it last year when they were introducing these rules. They were officially passed over the summer. Ain't going to be any fighting in the queue anymore. Yeah, it's really interesting to see and, and watching the preseason games and you see how the action it gets intense, but you know these guys no longer have the option to drop the gloves. So it'll be interesting when you have guys taking liberties on the ice. We had one incident where there was a, a collision and certainly would have been the type of situation where you would expect you know, a, a, a sketchy looking hit. The guy's injured on the play. You know gloves would have been dropped and can't do it anymore in the queue. So it'll it'll just be interesting to see how it plays out in the preseason as players adjust to the rules and who ends up ultimately i'm sure at some point somebody's going to get ejected because uh, you'll you'll want to stand up but you know the the new rules really have to change the way you approach the game and it's not out of the question for them to do it you know we obviously see no fighting in college hockey but when you've had it in the league so long you still have it in the other canadian hockey leagues i mean the ohl has had seven fights through 12 games so far in their preseason so no hesitation to drop the gloves there in ontario but it's really going to change the game in Quebec, especially when it comes to how do you avenge somebody for a, a dangerous hit or a dangerous play? You really have to take a number and, and just play clean, play physical and, and not drop the gloves. I think we'll get away from the eye for an eye sort of vigilante justice that has taken place for so many years in, in, in different leagues. And, and I think that is, a, is going to be a positive thing. And, and just like other rule changes, this one obviously is, is dramatic because it outlaws fighting, period, and the penalty is ejection and a subsequent suspension for further offenses. But just like other rule changes, the players adapt. They understand that we have to stay within the box of the rules. And while it may be frustrating at times, you just have to deal with it. And you have to put it back into the hands of the officials that they're going to make the right call. If it's a dirty hit, you have to just trust that the officials will make the right call. They'll send the guy to the box. They'll assess the appropriate penalties. And maybe you play physical after that. Maybe you, you get your revenge on the scoreboard. But it's just changing that mindset, like you said, Todd, of, you can't do the eye for an eye anymore. You you now have to be a little bit smarter and a little more strategic about how you avenge those types of situations. We'll address the topic of uh, injuries and penalty calls a little further in a minute or two. First up, though, I want to discuss who might be making those calls in the National Hockey League because we've had a couple of officials who have stepped away from the game. Uh, one forced to retire because of a knee injury, and that is Ian Walsh. We've already heard that there is one hire been made by the NHL, but Josh, you know that there will be additional changes to the officiating staff as well. Absolutely. So we had Mark Jeanette already retire. Walsh, unfortunately, now forced to retire after that, that knee surgery. It was a, a tough comeback, a really long recovery for him. He missed last season. So 1,321 regular season games, 30 playoff appearances, and his career comes to an end. Great guy, by the way. He's done a lot of work for USA Hockey, and I'm sure we'll continue to give back in his retirement. But sad to see him go. With Walsh out, though, and Jeanette out, we know there are two spots for guys to get promoted. 
And when you promote, they're typically coming from the NHL, AHL roster. So you're getting the guys that are splitting time between the two leagues. And those are your guys like Connor O'Donnell, Jordan Samuels, Thomas, uh, Morgan McPhee recently hired. So not expecting him to move up. Same with Justin Key or Cody Beach, but Brandon Schrader, Carter Sandlack, those guys who worked the AHL's finals there, Bo Halkidis, Reed Anderson. You'd be looking from that group to promote to the full-time NHL roster, which means you've got a backfill. And that's where Grady Hamilton comes in. So he'll take one of those slots and somebody else will be stepping into an NHL, AHL officiating role. So that's the fun part, Todd, is who's that going to be? And presumably the NHL already knows they've already been at the NHL officiating camp that they run over the summer and they'll be at the officials training camp, which will be underway very shortly. It's like, any other training camp, the officials want to make a, a good impression. They want to let them know that they're out there to coin a phrase from uh, Slapshot and uh, and probably not in the same way, but let them know that they're out and, and that they are ready for this promotion, that they are ready to be full-time National Hockey League officials. Yeah, and it's really hard. I mean, the NHL's done a lot of work to expand the officiating pool. And that's why we see a lot of former players that are converting to officials. And that typically happens at the Combine where they're introducing guys who maybe haven't officiated at all. They kick them back down to the lower levels, work through it, come back, and, and they see how they're doing because their thought process at the NHL level is if you've played the game at a high level, you you see the game differently, you know what it takes, you're familiar with with what's happening on the ice, and and there's the possibility of making the transition. And then we look at the other guys that have come up that are, are lifelong officials who've worked their way up from officiating at a young age. And of course, they have the experience, they have the years, they have the miles and all the hard work put in at the officiating level at, at each level up, whether it's working their way up through Canadian leagues or the USHL, ECHL, AHL level. So you've got this population of both. And, and really, you have to balance and figure out who's going to be the best fit, who's going to be the, the best potential candidate. And that NHL, AHL job is really the next step of getting you that audition of can you make that next step to the NHL level? You work primarily in the AHL with a few call-ups, a few audition games at the NHL level. And, and that's where they really get to see if you can make the transition to a full-time NHL or so somebody is getting that opportunity to show them that they can do it, show them that they can be there and, and we'll see how it goes. We'll look for those announcements before the NHL regular season gets going in October, but there will be lots of happenings and lots of news that we'll be covering as the weeks move along before the start of the NHL regular season. We'll be here through preseason camp, of course, and the rest of it. In the summer, the Hockey News decided that they were going to take a look at some of the officiating calls that were made, but sort of from a different slant, those that were challenged by the coaches during the National Hockey League season. And I found it quite interesting. We seem to be following this last year that the offside challenges were almost a slam dunk, that if a coach challenged, chances were pretty good that somebody in the video room had picked it up that the play was going to be reversed, either called offside or allowed to, to stand. The hockey news went a little bit deeper, and I, I guess I'm not surprised at some of the, the findings, but they confirmed our belief that offside is pretty much a done deal if it's challenged. It is. And I think some folks get frustrated at having the goal taken back, but you get the call right. And that's what the league was trying to do when they first put in the coach's challenge. And I think some of the concessions people have suggested, you know, make it within the first 20 seconds or decide if a player is impacting the play at all. You're introducing more judgment into the situation. You know, how do I determine whether or not a guy impacted a play? Maybe a defender moved over to protect against the pass to him and cleared a spot for the shooter to score a goal. So that becomes a hard part. And, and then if you're going based on time, 
now we're running the clock to see when was the zone entry compared to when the goal was being scored. So I think the NHL is doing a great job of keeping it simple, which we often mm -hmm. have a hard time with on the rule book and keeping it objective. <laughs> it's either offside or it's not. There's, there's nothing else there that's really getting in the way of making that call. I think the only opportunity would be if you, you, I mean, we're almost there to take it out of the coach's hands. You know, do you just make it automatic that the league is checking each one, but you don't want to check every situation that where there's a goal and do it. So I think it's the right balance to give the coaches the option to do it. Very, very, very often the officials are making the call right. And, and when they're not, man, those video teams are on it. I have almost 90% accuracy. You really have a hard time saying that that's, you know, not an improvement to the game because they are getting the call right. And that was the intent. For offside, it's, as we mentioned, almost a perfect record, 90%. For other challenges, it's a bit more, dare I say it, challenging. Uh, a missed stoppage is a difficult one. 13 were challenged, only five were overturned. Goaltender interference, this is another tricky one. 80 challenges, only 42 overturned, or a rate of 52.5%. Again, that's a judgment call in fact, both are a judgment call right now, and this is where it becomes much more difficult to determine if an impact was made either against the goaltender or whether the puck had gone out and touched the netting, for instance. Right. It's that subjectivity that really makes it challenging where you have the officials, and I know the officials are all working towards the same rule book and the same standard, but it definitely feels like there are times when different officials working a game may have called that differently or may have interpreted it differently. It's it, There are so many variables that go in. You have to look at it situationally and you're trying to gauge intent. It's such a subjective rule that you're going to have that there. And I, I think sometimes it's a last ditch effort and we look at challenges situationally. You know, if you're down three goals late in the game, you may as well give it a shot because right. maybe it gets you back in the game. So why not? But I, I think... When it comes to the goaltender interference, it still feels like maybe some coaches aren't interpreting it the right way. Maybe the officials have uh, always that opportunity to tighten up how they're calling it or what the standard is because it, it is hard. And then we take into consideration that they're calling it real time from their vantage point. The official might be in the corner. He might be along the boards by the circle there, but he's not overhead and he doesn't have all the camera angles there. So that's why I think the coach's challenge comes in handy to, to provide that second look that the situation room can really weigh in and, and try to provide more information to get the call right. But the subjectivity, Todd, just makes it such a challenge to get everybody comfortable with the, the accuracy. You know, we can tell when the puck's over the line and when a guy's crossing. I think even watching the game, you have a pretty good idea when a goal is going to be overturned and goaltender interference just has too many variables to really get to that point where we can say, yep, that was the right call as consistently as we can for offside. Something else that was pointed out in the rule book by our friend Sean McAdoo, who writes for The Athletic and always has a unique look and, and spin on things. He did an interesting piece over the last number of weeks that talks about a very small rewrite in the NHL rule book. And his argument makes a lot of sense, which is unusual for McIndoo, but that's another story. <laughs> so, but, but he talks about when, when handing out penalties, he points out that referees are not a doctor and nor do they play one on TV, but we're asking them at times to decide if an injury has occurred when uh, an offense has been committed. We all know about the, the high sticks, drawing blood and the like, but this deals a lot with, with body checks and whether or not a player uh, has to be taken out of the game for concussion protocol and the like. But rather than say, if an injury results, the ref should focus on the severity with which the check was given. Was it a really 
uh, how can I phrase this? Was it a really aggressive check, so to speak, or, or similar? And take the word injury out of the rule book. Focusing on how the check was delivered versus the result of the check, I think might make for a better call, which is I think, I think what everybody's looking for. And in many cases, it does. There are plenty of rules that are in the rule book that are based on the the force of the injury or or the the intent or what happened that caused it and not necessarily the outcome. And we see it sometimes with a relatively minor hit that results in an injury because of either the, the placement of the player towards the boards or something unfortunate where they came down funny, uh, they ran into another player. There's, there's other things that factor in where the hit itself wasn't that devastating, but due to other objects on the ice, other players on the ice, the outcome is, is far worse than was intended. So we definitely have seen those. And I, I think Sean's on to something there when it just needs to be reinforced that whatever the guy's trying to do, whatever the act is, is where we need to be focusing on the punishment. If you two-handed swing your stick and you don't hit a guy in the face because something else happened, it glanced off of his shoulder, well, you shouldn't get off the hook. I mean, you should be penalized for taking a two-handed swing at a guy's face. That was your intent. There was intent to injure. The fact that a lucky break prevented him from being uninjured on that play shouldn't prevent you from being penalized the same way as if he were. It was a dangerous play. There was dangerous intent. And, and I think that's something that in many of the rules, it's there. And it can be called a little bit more aggressively to say, look, just because the guy wasn't injured doesn't make what you did any less egregious. It's the murder versus attempted murder. Sentencing is the same, correct? Uh, it's, and it should be, right? I mean, I yeah. know the, out, the outcome could be worse, but if I try to take a guy's head off, hey, just because I'm clumsy and I miss, <laughs> that doesn't mean I wasn't trying to take it. Through your off. ineptness, I, right. we, we've you've been given a break. Okay, <laughs> now let's let's wrap up with this one because it, it's something that's been suggested and talked about, and it's now taking place in European hockey leagues. Referees will be interviewed after the game to explain certain calls. I believe the Swedish Hockey League is one of those participating. It appears that this is going to be live questions as well versus the, the suggestion of writing them down and having a, a written response. First off, this is 100% absolutely not happening in the NHL. It I don't think not. ever. No, and, and I, <laughs> as much as fans want to see it happen, I think they would be sorely disappointed if it did because you're not necessarily going to be happy with the answers and they might be honest mm -hmm. answers and it might be what the referee saw. I mean, I don't know what folks really want them to explain. There are so many things that go into the calls on the ice. It's real time. There's one angle. There's no replay. Hey, I didn't see it. I missed it. Hey, when I saw the replay, that would have been a penalty. It doesn't change anything from the game. And there are lots of situations where maybe the officials looking one way and something happens behind the play or a, a body is blocking their view of the stick. We had a very memorable high stick in the playoffs where the, the player who was high sticked was blocking the view of the stick from the official. And we had no call and fans were up in arms, but you can't call what you don't see. And he obviously didn't see it on that play. So there's going to be a lot of unsatisfactory explanations that would come out of it. I think there might be opportunity, whether it's the officials or an officiating supervisor, to maybe explain certain situations that require a better explanation. I mean, you and you and I have talked about it, Todd, for seasons, years yes. at this point, over the five seasons of the Scouting the Refs <laughs> podcast, that maybe explaining on a goaltender interference call something a little bit more about the reason the goal was overturned other than just there was goaltender interference on the play, that would be helpful. The, the educational aspect or 
you know, laying out there what the rule was that came into play here. But I think if if you're looking to point fingers or blame somebody, you're not going to get that from a post-game interview. I don't think so either. And I, I agree with your point that maybe you could help try to provide some transparency into the process. But regrettably, the NHL has shown us time and time again that they they really don't want a lot of transparency and a lot of questions about their their process and how things work, unfortunately, because it, it even goes to the 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 explanations, as you mentioned. Well, cutting and pasting from the rule book does not help educate the fans. So if if we can give a little specific information about one game circumstance and calls. Oh, okay. I see why this rose to the level. See, I'm using the NHL's phrases rose to the level of goaltender interference or why it didn't. I help think it helps fans understand until then people are going to be stuck with us. That's absolutely (laughs) it. And, and I'm glad that we can help explain it. And I, you know, I'm glad that we have broadcasters where Dave Jackson or Don Koharski or we have some other officials stepping up to be on those broadcasts and, and maybe provide that additional information other than cutting and pasting from the rule book. But I think if, if you want to yell at a guy or you want to say it was a bad call or the wrong call, that's not what's going to happen. And the NHL is never going to let the officials do it. I don't think the officials want to have that happen. So if you're waiting for the NHL to bring post-game official interviews, even if they did, you'd be disappointed. But if you're waiting for it to happen, well, don't hold your breath. We're done. Good job. You're good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's, nicely done. That's good play.